Okay, this comes from Ezekiel chapter one. Uh, it's not the whole chapter, but you'll get the feel of it. In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces and each of them had four wings. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome. And the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. I have one point for you and one point only today. The point is this. You need a theophany. Don't understand what that means? Good. That's why you have to stay for the rest of the message. <clears throat> All right, you're going to write it down. Theophany. We're going to come back to that. First, do this with me. Imagine with me. Uh, you can sit. You can sit. <clears throat> I did think about having you stand for the whole thing, but I just, <laughs> I, that, wouldn't be, that wouldn't be nice. Okay, imagine me for a moment. <clears throat> you suddenly find yourself imprisoned and relocated against your will. You had previously enjoyed freedom and opportunity, all the best things in life, but now you are disenfranchised. You're in a foreign land, immersed in a foreign culture, forced to serve a foreign master. All traces of the life and the people you once loved are gone. You can't understand how things went so incredibly wrong so incredibly fast. I just described for you the backdrop of actually many uh, award-winning screenplays and um, uh, 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 scripts and movies. Think about uh, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, The Gladiator, anybody? Uh, gosh, 12 Years a Slave, amazing movie, wow. Uh, even Chris Pratt's character, Star-Lord, has this origin story. 
okay? I mean, we see this constantly throughout our literature and our movies. These circumstances for each of these is wildly different. Fine, I'll give you that. But each of these characters is facing the same kind of challenge, overwhelmed, anxious, fearful, and, and lost in, in, a, in a new culture. They must face these overwhelming odds. They must regain their freedom and not lose themselves. Ezekiel's problem is no different. From the early verses in this chapter, we learn that Ezekiel is a former priest. He's an Israelite priest. He's now in Babylonian exile, all right? At 30 years of age, no doubt he's been serving in the temple, serving God's people, daily sacrifices, all this stuff, for at least a decade. But he's been studying the Old Testament probably since the age of five. He's completely immersed in his Jewish culture, Jewish worldview, his Jewish identity, all right? Uh, I'm sure that he would have a great personal sense of pride in being a priest, being a, the chosen lineage of Levi, and then beyond that, a sense of national and ethnic pride, being God's chosen people. Of all the people in the earth, God chose Abraham, and from Abraham come my people, and we have this position. Now, interestingly, Ezekiel is a priest no longer. Ain't no temples to Yahweh in Babylon. They serve a different God, Nabu. So Ezekiel is here by the Kibar Canal, probably mourning, lamenting, taking stock of all that he has lost. Loved ones left dying in the streets of Jerusalem because of war and famine. The temple desecrated by foreigners. These exiled Jews would have found themselves completely disconnected from all of their cultural understanding and moorings. And now they're under a program of deliberate cultural assimilation from Babylon. We learn from the book of Daniel that young Israelites were taken, separated from their families, taught the language, taught the music, taught the literature, uh, given new names. Your Hebrew name that told you of God and his faithfulness was taken away from you, and you were given another name, a name to this foreign god, Nebu. Now, you could think of this in modern terms, maybe like France and Belgium after the Nazis invaded and occupied them. You can think of the 12 million Africans taken away from their homeland in the slave trade. These are the modern stories that describe what exile was like. Here's what you might not know. The Bible tells you that your experience of life in Christ on this earth is more like exile in Babylon than it is like living in the promised land in Jerusalem. Yeah. Did you know that? Did you know that the New Testament actually warns us about this? Peter, when he writes, he, he introduces his first letter. He says this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, none of those say Jerusalem. According to the foreknowledge of God, not a surprise to God, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. That's interesting. When Peter writes his letter, he doesn't say it's to the conquering saints living their best life now. <laughs> Rather, he writes to the elect exiles, to God's hand-chosen refugees. Peter's reminding his audience and us that our true citizenship is in heaven. 
And that as long as we're living on this earth, we're gonna feel out of place. The remainder of Peter's letter is his best advice and his encouragement for how to live as a spiritual refugee in the place God has put you. Because you see, though the earth belongs to God, it's not fully under his rule and reign. It will be, but not yet. This out-of-placeness of the Christian experience comes to us in many ways. You know, my kids like to tell me about it all the time. They're like, Dad, so-and-so gets to watch as much YouTube as he wants. Why can't we? Come on, Dad, when do I get an iPhone? Who are you going to call an iPhone? I ain't calling nobody. I got that Snapchat. I need that Instagram. You know, I got to get on there, social media. All right. Well. And I said, no, that's not how we do it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Come on. All right, I'm feeling it, feeling it. Okay. All right, all right. Fair enough. I mean, maybe the issue comes up in that conversation about like, when does that mini skirt you're trying to wear actually become undergarments? And you know, you can't go out like that. I don't know. I don't know. We're not there yet, almost. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe you don't have any kids at home. Okay, fine. Maybe it's in the politics. You see, one day your party's in power, then the next day they're not. I gotta tell you something. When we were in the pandemic, it was crazy. Trump gets elected and one group of people like, oh, I gotta get out of here, I gotta move to Canada. Then the pandemic hits, and another group of people are like, oh, man, the government's too restrictive. I got to move out of here. Then Biden comes into power, and another group's like, oh, man, I got to move out of here. I was like, everybody's going to move. Everybody wants to leave. Fine. It doesn't really matter, actually, because there's always going to be something that you lost, something you feel like was taken away, something that you're longing to bring back. Okay. Maybe you feel the awkwardness when you're dealing with, this, with the culture. Right? You know, half of y'all don't know, like, anymore, should, you know, should we call, should, should we call them, is it black? Is that the right terminology? Is it African American? Is it people of color? Like, you're not even ready for cisgender heteronormativity. <laughs> pronouns, why do they got these pronouns at the end of the email signature? I don't know. I mean, it's coming hard, coming fast. Come on now. Maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's all the things, right? Maybe it's you don't know how to deal with the slang. The pace of change in the world is so rapid. You can't even keep up with it. What's in, what's out? Things you used to take for granted are now being ostracized, and people you used to respect are now being canceled. Rest assured, I'm not here to gaslight you. The struggle is real. Some of the things that you desperately want to reclaim are really good things. Really good things. Gone are the days when it's safe to send your kids to school. We had a school shooting in St. Louis. We had a young lady in that school when a gunman with 30 magazines climbed in through the roof. Why don't people live next door long enough to actually become neighbors? I thought there was job security. I thought if you got a college degree, you could get a job, all right? Where are the churches where they actually preach Jesus? You know, churches used to be a place where people met Jesus and they had life change. Now it's like places for gourmet coffee and a rock concert and a TED talk. Everybody, every, everybody 
can identify with change, a foot in the society and the culture, and that makes you want to turn back the clock. So let's go back to our friend Ezekiel, just the sitting by the keybar canal. I'm just sitting by the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. Ooh, I said, sitting by that keybar canal, wasting time. I can't rap, but I can sing. Just like Otis Redding. I mean, if you listen to the words of that song, Otis Redding is depressed. He's looking back, he's noticing all the things he's lost, all the times he's failed, giving up on trying in life. He's lost his, Ezekiel too, lost his home. 2,000 miles I roam. Ezekiel's a long way from home. He lost his job. The temple was destroyed, burned to the ground. Can't even go back and get that job. Lost his culture, lost his language, lost his stories, lost his hopes, lost his dreams. As an Israelite, he had access to God's word. He was a recipient of God's promises. The covenant, even though we call it old, was actually remarkable. Full of incredible promises from the one true God to a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. All these good things lost and gone. Lost and gone. But you know, as good as these blessings were for the people of Israel, they were shadows, foreshadowing of the good things to come. The Old Testament was, was a picture, not a, kind of a grainy old school. It's kind of like when you watch a movie that's on DVD now. And you're like, man, I used to think this was like cutting edge CGI. This is grainy. I can't even tell what's happening. It's not HD. 4K HD, they didn't have that. The new covenant is like 4K HD. Foreshadowing. And the point is that these shadows are good things, but they are not as good as the substance. The substance of what is to come, the spiritual reality that God was going to open up, like spiritual hors d'oeuvres. Right, you go to a restaurant and they got that, uh, the plate's got like one toasted rav left. And then the waiter comes to take it, you're like, oh, uh, 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 I gotta, gotta have that. It's fine to want that good thing, right? But don't forget in that moment that it's just the appetizer. The real meal is coming. Now, in the midst of all this change, all this societal change, it's no wonder we are experiencing fear, anxiety, frustration, confusion, suffering. Probably the best word to sum it all up would be grief. It's okay. Let me tell you, it is okay to grieve the loss of good things. God can handle your grief. All right? Because he is the God who speaks into grief, like in Ezekiel's situation. What does God have to say to Ezekiel about his grief? God gives Ezekiel a theophany. Theophany. From the Greek roots, theo for God, and phanein, which means to shine light on or to reveal, right? So if we go back to the vision, which frankly, I mean, is totally nuts. Can we just say? <laughs> Completely crazy. I don't, and I, honestly, I, I should be careful about that, right? But I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just mind-blowing. It's mind-boggling. 
Everything in the vision is on fire. Lightning is flashing. Light and rainbows. I mean, to shine. Theophany. Why is this theophany so critical? God shines the spotlight on himself. He peels back the veil, the curtain, so that Ezekiel can get a glimpse of the glory. Why? Because Ezekiel has lost the shadow in his mourning, but God wants to show him the substance. Theophany. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How are you going to know what to think about God except that he shows you? God cannot be known from reasoning, from uh, theories. God can be known by revelation. And God comes to us in our grief and he says, let me reveal to you the substance so you can stop pining for the shadows. God takes the initiative to reveal himself. That's his whole story. That's his M.O. Moses was wandering. He wasn't looking for burning bushes. Boom, burning bush. (laughs) Abraham was chilling in Ur. He wasn't looking for God. God said, hey, I know your name. Come follow me. What's up with this particular vision? There are a couple of themes in this vision. First, there's these living creatures, the spinning wheels, and the man on fire. Now, the scene resembles, if you put it all together, a victorious king on a celebratory march through a conquered land. God sits in this massive glistening chariot surrounded by or preceded by his heavenly angels, generals, brandishing his might before his conquered subjects. Now, this conquering king, he commands a storm. Remember the cloud by day and the fire by night? This is like all that mixed up together plus lightning. And the chariot is even decked out in these wheels within wheels, covered in eyes, seeing every direction, moving any place it wants to go. I, I thought about this. I was like, wheels within wheels, that's like, them spinning rims. You know, like, God's like an OG. He got like this metallic suit riding in this chariot with spinning wheels, moving slow, got a posse in front of him. I was like, dang. That's, that's hot. But the question is, in the context, I, I thought Israel was conquered by Babylon. Why is God coming in on this Victory March vision, because Babylon is God's tool, God's instrument. Back you know, in Jeremiah's uh, prophecy, God basically says, look, I'm going to bring this army from the north, and they're going to sack Jerusalem, and they're going to carry away the people. So even if King Nebuchadnezzar and his generals rode through Jerusalem on their victory march, it was God's victory march. The exile, believe it or not, the exile is God's victory over his wayward people so that he could bring them to a new place of understanding of who he is and of what he's doing. So God is the one who has conquered Israel. Now God is declaring to Ezekiel that though the people were conquered, he has not been conquered, right? So I don't know what your exile experience is. I don't know what despair and brokenness you're facing. I don't know what battles you feel like you have lost. But I'm here to tell you today that God has not been conquered. That God is inviting you to see something 
and to see him differently in the midst of your situation. So what does Ezekiel need most in his exile? If you had asked Ezekiel, Ezekiel would have said, I want to go back to Jerusalem. Just take me back, roll back the clock, get me all the stuff I lost. But that's not what God thinks. A return to safety, a return to the familiar, a return to home, again, good things. God wants to give you, just like he gave Ezekiel, something far greater. God wants to give Ezekiel an encounter. Ezekiel comes face to face with the power that works after he's worked. See how I did that? I worked that in there. Okay. Theophany. God revelation. You see, more than the good gifts that God gives to his people during their time in the promised land, God's people need the good God who gives the gifts. I'm going to say that again. More than good gifts that God has given, you need the good God who gives the good gifts. How are you going to get it? Revelation. God gives Ezekiel the encounter. The encounter shows him God's in control. God is the conquering king. It also gives him an assurance of God's presence because of when God comes to him. Ezekiel wasn't sitting by the Kibar Canal asking for God, looking for God, searching for God, praying to God. God's initiative. And we are not different from Ezekiel. When our bodies fail and we long for the days of health, God reminds us, yes, health is a good gift. But in this life, a healthy body is merely a foretaste of a glorified heavenly body. Being free from illness is nice, but being impervious to illness is far better. When the job is downsized and you long for the days of your economic security, God reminds you, yes, wealth is a good gift. Money in the bank is nice, but it is a shadow of the spiritual riches stored up for you in heaven in Christ. When the culture abandons godly values and we are confronted with moral decay, yes, God reminds us a virtuous human society is nice, but it is a shadow. It is a blurry reflection of the perfect kingdom built on the rock of Christ. Come on now. I told you, Larry. Okay. In all these things, what we want to do, we want to reclaim things that that just pale in comparison to our future inheritance. Okay? Oh, my God. The grief of the exile is not the only challenge that this text addresses. When the Israelites were taken captive, King Nebuchadnezzar knew that the national identity of the Israelite nation was strong, unbreakable, in fact. So he had a plan, a war for the hearts and minds of the youth, and he separated them from their parents, and he put them into a program of Babylonian indoctrination. They were taught the language, the music, the literature, and the culture, and they were given new names. Their connection to their past to their family's legacies, was deliberately severed so that a new allegiance to Babylon could be implanted. Did you know that this is still happening today? Every time you pick up your phone, turn on your TV, step out the door, the prevailing culture is beckoning you, enticing you, persuading you. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, they're all doing it. Facebook does it, but you know, no one's on Facebook anymore. But it's not just social media. 
There's influencers on YouTube. There's radio personalities. There's authors. There's actors. Even your best friends have a worldview. They have a perspective. And they want you to buy into it. Everybody is selling something. Now, here's the thing. Ezekiel was 30 years old. That would make him, in our context, the youngest of the young millennials. Not a geriatric millennial like me. (laughs) But the Gen Z of his day would be Daniel. Daniel was a youth. He's probably 13. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those guys, they're very young. And they were the ones that this was focused on. So this brings into my mind our teens and our 20s. Um, You guys are much cooler than me. My eight-year-old keeps telling me this. You're flexible, you're malleable, you're adaptable. Young people can move and groove with the culture. And so the challenge before the younger generation is this. You have to learn to discern. Say it with me. Learn to discern. See, Brian, it's not that hard to rhyme. Okay. Learn to discern. What I mean is this. You need to practice critiquing the prevailing culture rather than simply consuming the prevailing culture. Critique, not consume. First, fully commit yourself to your heavenly citizenship. If you were raised, let's just think about this. If you're raised in a Christian home, the likelihood is your parents established for you certain aspects of God's heavenly culture in the home. All right? uh, maybe you're, you're taught about God's character, um, you heard the scriptures, hopefully they, they prayed with you, you're encouraged to represent God when you leave the home, even if it costs you something socially. You don't like it, I didn't like it either, it's okay. But you got a deposit before you were out, on, out there on your own, and that was heavenly culture, okay? Now, you have to wake up to the reality that if you aren't vigilant, the voices of the culture will subtly and secretly provide you with competing values, competing worldview, competing allegiances, alternate ways of thinking, which will erode your connection to your godly heritage. And then you'll forget about your heavenly citizenship, just like Babylon tried to do with Daniel. Now, if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, that's okay. God is in the work of rebuilding foundations. So he can come to your life and and with your partnership, opening yourself to his work and his word, he can put in that foundation that maybe you didn't get. That is called discipleship. Deliberate work on the foundation to put in godly values. Jesus Christ said, the man who hears my words and does them is like the one who built his house on a rock. Okay. Like Daniel, we all need to be students of the culture. Learn the language, the arts, the values. That comes inevitably easier for the younger generation. But if you don't learn to understand the culture, you can't infiltrate the culture and you can't redeem the culture. And that's what God's mission for us is. That's why we're still here. So on the other hand, if you just unwittingly accept all the culture is feeding you, you will come to reflect the culture rather than a culture coming to reflect you. It's like code switching. Anybody know code switching? I'm gonna tell you about that code switching. So like, you can see like me, like Jerron, we've got this 
chocolate kind of hue about us. <clears throat> when I was a kid, we called it being black. It's fine, it's a safe word. Now we say person of color. Either way, you, I think you get where I'm going. When I got on the bus and I drove road to my predominantly white school, I was immediately confronted with the fact that there were differences. Different language, different slang, different music. I mean, I wasn't listening to Nirvana. I thought those guys were crazy. <laughs> Here's the thing. I had to learn the culture so that I could navigate in that space. I learned the language. I listened to the music so that I could flow in and out, and it was easy to connect. Okay? Then when I went home, I could go back and strengthen my connections to my original culture, if you will, to my culture of origin. Even, you know, was, I had a new name even. So at, at, at home, it was Gregory. Gregory! <laughs> you leave these shoes on the floor? No, mama. At school, I was Gregory. <laughs> you might notice the difference. <clears throat> Here's the thing. You, as a Christian, you have a culture of origin. Your culture of origin is not the city you're from, not the state you're from, not the country you're from, it's heaven. The scripture tells us he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So, like Ezekiel, we have a mission amongst the prevailing culture. But in order to carry this mission out, we need to be in the culture, but not of the culture. All right, so how can our young folk best hold on to this Christian identity and this godly kingdom culture while simultaneously being immersed in it? That's a question for all of us. But the answer that I have for you is the same answer as I had before. You need a theophany. You need a revelation of who God is, the character of God, the nature of God, the power of God, the glory of God. And you need to see that that is more true and more real than what the culture is feeding you. See, the culture wants to give you counterfeit. The culture can't replicate what God has, but they can give you a counterfeit. And if you don't know what the real thing is, how are you going to recognize the counterfeit? Because the, the enemy's greatest weapon is something that looks like what's real. And he's smart enough. He'll say, I'll give you 80%, but the most important thing, I'll just switch that out, and then you'll be all off base. An encounter with the living God is going to save you from drowning in the flood of culture. And so our prayer should be, I need an encounter with God. I need my faith stirred up. I need my eyes opened. I need a fresh indwelling of the Spirit's presence. I need the taste on my lips. So when I see the counterfeit, I know that artificial sugar ain't no good. I don't care what they say, Coke Zero does not taste like Coca-Cola. <clears throat> now, God granted this grace to Ezekiel when he was in exile. And I want to be a messenger like Ezekiel. Lord, would you come and burn the image of the living creatures? You got a whole army of angels to protect me when I'm out there. I don't have to be afraid. Would you burn on my memory the, the spinning wheels and the eyes that see so I know that you see everything and you know when I'm struggling and when I'm in the, the corner alone, you see me. Lord, would you burn on my image the man on fire? So I know that in you, you're like fire enclosed, ready to burst out. 
and you got power when I need it. Let's not forget the words of the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, fetters, chains, chain me up, Lord, with your goodness so I don't wander away. I appreciated Brian's message yesterday so much. Now, he encouraged us what? The most important thing that we can do to help the next generation is to keep on having experiences of God for ourselves so we have something to tell them. How are you going to commend the works of the Lord to the next generation if you don't see the works of the Lord? You can't do it. God can do it. So I say again, you need a theophany, and you need a theophany, and you need a theophany. Theophany for everybody. (laughs) Here's the thing. You know what God says? Through the prophet Jeremiah, one of Ezekiel's contemporaries, he said, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Is that what's in your heart? Is that your desire? He said, he goes on to say, he says, call to me. And I will answer you. Not call to me and the angels will come. Not call to me and the pastor will show up. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and hidden things you have not known. Yeah, woo, that's right. You know what that is? That's theophany. I see you, Sam, mouthing the words. You know where it's coming from. God is offering you an encounter, a revelation, a disclosure of spiritual reality that you cannot get on your own. And what is the hidden secret? What hidden secret could be better than pulling back the curtain to see the glory of God? And he doesn't give glory to impress us. He gives glory to satisfy us. In our fear, in our confusion, in our grief, God wants to satisfy us and fill us and elevate us with true substance of his goodness and his glory. You want a better job? Shadows. You want better friends? Shadows. You want better government? Shadows. You want better public morality? Shadows. God's mission in the world? Substance. God's friendship? Substance. God's eternal dominion? Substance. God's spiritual regeneration? Substance. Don't be satisfied with the counterfeit. Feed. Feast on substance. God wants to come and be real to you. That's why I'm so excited you're here right now. The regular diet in our churches, sitting under the word, preached, weekly Bible study, hymns of prayer and fasting, these things are sustenance. They sustain us. But when we can get away for a weekend, we can forget the, 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 the distractions, When we can come here, we have ministry, we have prophecy. These are things that not every believer is taking access of, making the most of. But God blesses his people when they seek him. And we are here to seek. Lord, we are here this morning to seek you, to receive from you. Lord, we're not coming here for show. We're coming here for substance. And I thank you, Lord, that you are here today. I feel that there are people here today, under the sound of my voice, who have not had substance in a long time. And God wants to satisfy you this morning. And we're going to have a time for that. Oh my goodness, I went over. I'm so sorry. Um, Quick, let me bring it to an end. Fast forward. Chapter 3. God's glory comes to Ezekiel 
brings him to Jerusalem. God says, the thing you're longing for, let me show you, is actually corrupt. The shadow that you wanted ain't, ain't as good as you thought it was. Yeah. Chapter 8, God says, you know what? It's, it's so bad here in Jerusalem, I'm taking my presence from Jerusalem. Where is God going to go with his presence? God goes back to the exiles. He says, I'm going to put my presence with my people in exile. Does that sound familiar to you? God's grace, God's glory leaves his earthly dwelling place. Let me read something to you. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Jesus does what God does. Jesus says, I had a place of glory in heaven, but I'm going to leave it so I can be with who? Be with my people in exile. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And what does Jesus do? He does exactly what the Father does. He comes to give us a self-revelation and disclosure of the Father's glory in our exile experience. We know that God can give us a theophany today because Jesus Christ bought it for us. And so I'm going to end with a time of prayer um, and ministry. I want any person who feels like these two scenarios speaks to them. Maybe you're like, I, I, I have loss. I have grief. There are things that I, I want to go back to or things that I feel like I missed out on and they have distracted me. They have overwhelmed me and I have not seen the glory. I believe that God wants to make himself known to you today.